0: All right. Good morning. I'm just rejoicing. I just got a notice on my watch. It's it's so cool what God is doing. We have a young lady that had come in the last hour and she's getting counselled. They say she wants to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior. We just uh, service by service, hour by hour, God working. We have a team in Senegal right now where God opened the door recently out of that nearly 100% Muslim area and they got their first believer. The missionaries that we work with there. So uh, please pray for our team on the ground. Would you please remember to pray for Dr. Stewart? My my predecessor who was here 28 years. Many of you know him as Brother Ron. Uh, he's become a dear friend and encourager to me, but he is having open heart surgery tomorrow. So would you please pray for him, okay? A couple of blockages they're going to be dealing with. He's otherwise very healthy, I believe. So we're going to remember him as we pray. Take your Bibles, please. Open them up. Click them, swipe them, get back to Hebrews. I love this theme because I think it is so important. An anchor for the soul, that's what we're talking about. An anchor for the soul. Man, we have a culture that's adrift, a world that's moving farther and faster from God than seemingly ever before, certainly in our lifetimes. But we have Christ who is our anchor, our living hope. And you know, it's awesome to see all these people coming. Last week, we had over 60 in our new members class, and uh, man, people joining in covenant with us. And if you notice pictures, if you're here early enough to see those rotates, it's a wide demographic, um, ages and whatnot, and we're just very, very grateful if God's led you to grace, or if you're here, maybe in each service, I met people here for the first time so, if you're here, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm Bobby. I hope you'll come up and meet my wife, Cindy, at the end with me. But we're learning verses, as we do with every book. We're going to learn these verses at the beginning of Hebrews. So, you guys say these with me, okay? Let's look at Hebrews 1 1 and 2. It'll be right here. It says this God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. A couple of things to point out. You see the word his is in italics. That's simply meaning it wasn't there in the original Greek. Modern translations like say the New King James will do that. So that's not an error. It just means it's for clarification. Also, when we say this, I want you to notice God is speaking. And when God speaks, he does not stutter. And God is speaking at various times in past by the fathers, uh, to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, that's what we call from the Messianic age forward. So from the resurrection forward, these are the last days. He's spoken by his son. And he's heir of all things through whom he also has made the worlds. And so look at that for a minute. Make sure you've gotten it. And then can I get some ushers to close that back those back two doors for me unless there's a reason they're open? Um, just because of my squirrely distraction, I don't want to see people moving out there. I would appreciate that very, very much. Uh, thank you. Plus, I want to keep it cold enough in here that you can't possibly sleep. All right. So, um, <laughs> double reason there. So let's do it with some blanks. You ready? Let's go. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the good, has in these last days spoken to us by his good, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Good. There you go. See, y'all got it. If we could just do this five words at a time, we can memorize scripture. Last week, the question was, who's the goat? No, it's not Tom Brady. It's not the Carolina, well, it is the Carolina Tar Heels, but who's the real goat? The greatest of all time, we learned the undisputed, undefeated champion of the world and the universe is Christ. He is God's ultimate prophetic voice, his appointed heir of all things, God's agent of all creation, his radiant glory, his perfect revelation, his comprehensive sustainer, and his perfect, sacrifice for our sins. We looked at the author, maybe Paul, maybe others, but it was certainly spoken by the Lord through the Holy Spirit to some human author. Uh, And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It was written to Jewish Christians. So I'm a Jew, I follow the Jew Jesus, and I become a Christian, a Christ follower. And they were in danger, the aim, they were in danger of backpedaling. I would argue that the theme of Hebrews is extraordinarily timely for 2022 in the West. That we are in danger of letting the culture dictate what we say and what we don't say, okay? do we have enough seats back there? We will move out and we will move over. We'll be glad to accommodate anybody that comes. So we are in danger of moving away from what we know to be true. I know pastors that are like, yeah, you know, we really, this is a day where you can't really talk about things like hell or sin because, you know, people just won't put up with that. Well, brother, I'm here to tell you, as long as God's got breath in my lungs and as long as I get the joy of serving in this place, we're going to preach the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And that is the whole counsel of God's word because yeah, you, you really cannot understand and appreciate the good news of Jesus. If you don't understand how bad it is without Jesus. And we're not just talking about, well, he's a good guy and she's a good gal. I'm talking about none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But I'm also saying the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a lot of things that people have questions about. One of the biggest these days is angels. There's a lot of confusion. And so we get answers by looking at what the writer of Hebrews is going to do. By comparison and contrast, we see Jesus. And we see that Jewish people in general have no problem then and they have no problem now believing in the angelic realm. And yet they would look at Jesus and say, well, maybe he was just another angel and so maybe I don't really need to follow him and maybe I don't really need to be persecuted severely and lose my home, my business, maybe even my life. Remember, Nero was a bad dude and there was some really hardcore persecution going on. And so the writer is saying, look, Jesus is so much better than the angels. I'm gonna show you from your own scripture. I'm gonna go back to the Old Testament. I'm going to pull from your Bible, Jew. I'm going to show you how much greater Jesus is. I came across a video, though, a few years ago. It's still incredibly timely. And I think if I took a microphone and a camera down to, say, Market Square this afternoon, I don't think the answers I get would be much different. I think there's a lot of confusion over angels. I think if you ask 100 people what they think of angels, you'll get 110 opinions, And it's interesting because when I watch this video, uh, Dr. Cat, Pastor Frank, I think your nephew may be on here. I don't know if it's him, uh, actually. He sounds like an Italian guy, and he's got a really weird answer. So y'all see if you can pick out the guy that um, he is actually saying what I think, if not most, many people believe about angels. Some of you believe it. Some of you probably believe it. And so listen for this guy in the middle of the video, but just a couple of minutes long. What's up with angels? Y'all watch this. Do you believe in angels? Perhaps. Do you believe in angels? Yeah. There could be something like a guardian angel. I think that there is possibility that there could be, you know, angels after death. I don't know if it's considered an angel per se, but I believe there's something, you know, other than just us being here. I believe in a God and that he probably has the equivalent of some type of servants working for him and helping him out. Uh, Other than that, I don't know. I've had a few instances where I felt like that, you know, God's hand probably working through angels is done some things for me. What do you think angels look like if they existed? Do they really have to look like anything? What do you think angels look like? I have no idea. I don't think they have an appearance. I think it's all in your your head. Perhaps they are, look like a ball of light or um, something to that effect. They could be people, they could be whatever. Kind of like a ghost with wings. (laughs) Beautiful looking, I guess. An angel can be anything you think it is. Flashes of light, maybe, I don't really know. Could be a person, could be an animal, (laughs) could be whatever you think it is. I guess an angel could also come in the form of a person. What is an angel? Uh, A dead person, a nice dead person. An angel could be some (laughs) kind of uh, higher being that has transcended the physical plane. (laughs) They're God's messengers. An angel is, according to what I know, it's an agent that is usually, you know, has to do with God. What do you think the purpose of an angel is? To make humans feel secure. The purpose of angels would be, I guess, to kind of like look over us. No purpose. No purpose at all. Make sure we're okay. Just to be there. Some people die and they become angels, but they don't have a purpose. To uh, guide the uh, lesser beings. They can watch over you or watch out for you, you know, when, when God doesn't have time. I think that there are two angels that write down all your good deeds and your bad deeds. Do you think people have guardian angels? I used to when I was little. Well, I've never really thought of it much, really. I do believe angels guard, but I don't think each person has their own guardian angel. I think everybody has a guardian angel. Do you believe you have a guardian angel? Yeah. I've been through some times where there's definitely something there to help me out. If you believe you have a guardian angel, I think that, yeah, then it can help you in, in that aspect to actually believe that there is one. But I think if you don't believe in angels, then why would you have one? Why don't you believe people have their own guardian angel? The Bible doesn't say that people have their own guardian angel, and I just try to believe just what the Bible says. Well, that's an interesting opinion, since nobody else seemed to care what the Bible said, right? Uh, A dead person, Uh, a nice dead person, a nice dead person. Okay, okay, we're going to come back to that at the conclusion today, so don't don't get to sleep or if you do wake up in about 20 minutes, because we're going to come back. So... What is up with angels? Look at the screen. I want to show you my screenshot of the... I chose that because you could see that in your grandma's garden, right? Some of y'all might have that in your garden. This is sort of the imagery. In fact, with three daughters, I grew up seeing my girls in the Christmas plays with the white robes, the cardboard wings, the little tinsel halo, right? And the angels come out and you go, oh, look at the angels. You're so cute. Does anybody ever react that way in all of the Bible? What happens when you encounter an angel from the Bible? Ah! You fall down in fear. they, they, they fear. In fact, oftentimes phobeo phobeo is used back to back, where we get fear. They feared a great fear. They were terrified. And there weren't any cute little cherubim. There weren't any cute little angelic Cupid-like creatures. In fact, there are not even any named females, although I'm not so trying to argue that, that angels uh, necessarily have gender as we do. But the two named angels certainly have masculine names, Michael the archangel and Gabriel, messenger of God to Joseph and Mary and such. And so we only have these two named guys. And then you've got all these encounters where people are absolutely terrified. So what's up with angels? And how is it that Jesus is so much better? Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Remember that he purged our sins by himself. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, verse four, having become so much better than the angels as he by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name, that's important, a more excellent name than they. Now we're going to get seven, some say eight, but at least seven Old Testament quotations back to back to back. For to which of the angels did he, God the Father, ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And again, another Old Testament reference, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. That has to do with his birth. We remember angels were there worshiping him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels wind or spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God. Notice, he's calling the Son God. To the Son, he says, Your throne, O God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, your other heavenly host. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You'll fold them up, and they'll be changed, but you... This is still the son here. The son, you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? Remember what Jesus did after he purged our sins. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, there's a lot of meat here. Well, we don't have time today to get it all off the bone, but we're going to make a stab at it, Lord. And I pray that we would not just gain head knowledge, but I pray there would be deep, deep conviction into the hearts of people here in this room and the many more that would be watching now and later. I pray that you would speak so clearly that people know you are calling them directly by name, And that they would come to have assurance of who Jesus is. And that there would be a greater desire to know him than to fulfill a curiosity about angels. Lord, thank you for speaking already. Teach us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So, let's jump right in with the question, why is Jesus so much better than the angels? It says it right there in verse four, Having become so much better than the angels? Don't worry about the language having become. It didn't mean he once wasn't. It's setting time frames. So don't worry about, oh, he wasn't better, now he's better. It's just giving the idea that through his death, burial, and resurrection, that was proof that he's always been better, having been so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So why? Angels played a vital role in Jewish religion. They absolutely affirmed, and still, if you're an actual Jewish believer today, not just an ethnic Jew, but you really follow Judaism, you believe in angels. You believe in heavenly hosts, the unseen realm. But the author's going to take at least seven stabs back into the Old Testament to say, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you from the scriptures you grew up with why Jesus is better. Why? Number one, because of his unique sonship. Jesus, unlike the angels, has a unique, one-of-a-kind sonship. What we have is a quote here from Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. Let me give you a little note too. I say this every few months, but just as a reminder, on the bottom of your note sheet and your cross references, I give you normally quite a few every week. And if you ever want to go back and dig deeper, the few of you that may want to do that, that's wonderful, and I appreciate you doing that. They're always in the order I refer to them. And so you'll just be able to track with me from your prime notes to the bottom. And if you're online or through the app, they're always in a very specific order. So second, I'm sorry, Psalm 2-7 and 2 Samuel 7-4 are in reference here to verses 4 and 5. Look at 4 and 5 again. I won't reread them. I just did. But Jesus is so much better. And to which angel did God the Father ever say, You are my son. Today I've begotten you. My son is reserved for Jesus. Now, angels of the Old Testament a few times are called the sons of God, but never referred to individually. The sons of God generically in the sense of God made them. So in one sense, we're all sons of God. We're all daughters of God. Uh, And so in one sense, that's true. But then there are the children of God who have a a real relationship through Christ. Well, in the Old Testament, angels collectively are the sons of God, but never individually, you are my son, the son of God. To prove the exalted superiority of the son, we have these quotations, the first from Psalm 2-7. That psalm describes the coronation of an Israelite king. Paul would reference it in Acts 13 to explain the resurrection of Jesus. You are my son, today I've begotten you. What what does that mean? Well, when Paul references it, and again, I would lean toward Paul writing here, but when Paul references it, he's referencing to God bringing Jesus back to life in the resurrection. Think about it like this. Jesus was begotten from something virginal twice. Through the virgin's womb, Mary, he was begotten into the world, born, birthed into this world. Through the virginal womb, The angels worshiped him, but he was also rebirthed through a virginal tomb. You see, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea of the high ruling council of Jews, and Joseph allowed Jesus to be buried in a rock hewn tomb in which no one had ever been placed. It was a virginal tomb. What Paul is doing, I believe, is a play on words out of Acts, and what the writer of Hebrews is picking up on here is this concept that Jesus is the resurrected, begotten again, one of God. Now, we see that he's finished the work he came to do. That's what verse 3 was telling us. But verse 4 and 5 are setting up the fact that Jesus is unique, the firstborn. In fact, Colossians 1.8 says, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. But if you know your Bible, you're going to say, whoa, 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 that's not right. I remember a guy named Lazarus. I remember he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and I remember that he really died because they buried him, and Jesus didn't get there until four days later, and they said, Man, he stinketh. Don't roll the stone away. He was really dead. But I'm going to argue with you that, G- that Lazarus was never resurrected, not in the way we understand resurrection biblically. I'm going to tell you, Lazarus was resuscitated. What's the difference? Well, Lazarus was brought back to life. Did Lazarus ever die again? You better believe he did, man. He would stinketh again. Lazarus would be brought back temporarily. But when Jesus was resurrected the third day, first Easter Sunday morning, would he ever die again? Never, he would never taste death again. He was the firstborn from the dead. So what you have is the writer here just hammering on the superiority of Jesus through his finished work, the begotten and the second begotten son of God. And so what you have here then, the second quote, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son comes from 2 Samuel seven fourteen. The prophet Nathan was actually telling these words to David. Now why was he doing that? Well, there was a promise that Solomon would build a house for God after David's death. And God promised that he would be David's father forever. And through the line of David, there would be a kingdom that would have no end. Now, go back in your memory bank. Solomon asked for wisdom. Did God give him wisdom? Yes, he did. Did God give him great wealth? Yes, he did. Did God give him a kingdom that would last forever? No, he did not. What was, what was Solomon's downfall? Fellas is a bunch of women. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. But the reality is he just couldn't keep his hands off all these wives and concubines, and many of them drew his heart and mind away from God, and so his kingdom would have an end. How then could God promise David, you will have a son whose kingdom will last forever? He will be a son forever. Well, in Hebrew genealogy, folks, you could say he was a son even if he was a grandson or a great-grandson or a great 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 keep filling the blank son. So what is the line of David? Well, do you remember that David had a father named Jesse and Jesse had a father named Obed and Obed had a father named Boaz, who married a gal named Ruth, because God has this cool way of working the Bible all together, because it's one story, and what we find is that David would have sons, and from those sons would eventually come the son, so Jesus is in the line of David. And so, what the writer is doing here is he's using these Old Testament prophecies that people would remember. Wait a minute, this is Nathan talking to David. And the writer of Hebrews says, uh uh-uh, uh, it's not just Nathan talking to David, it's also God talking to you, saying he has a son that reigns forever, a unique monogonase, an only begotten son. You know, I grew up in an absolutely fantastic neighborhood a very small town of about a 1,000 people that sat between Greensboro and Burlington. Now it's sort of been taken over by those cities. But my little town, we had a phenomenal neighborhood, big yards, lots of woods. Man, we rode bikes, without pads on, y'all. We were rebels. It was crazy. And you never had to tell us, go outside. You never had to tell us, turn off the screen of the big wooden TV with the curved front. You never had to say it. We were always outside. And my house, cool enough, was kind of like the hub of the neighborhood because my papa, remember the master carpenter, and my father built me a really great tree house. But it wasn't in a tree. It was on stilts. We didn't have a tree in our yard big enough to hold it. But it was a big stilted house. And so kids from all over the neighborhood played at my house a lot, And mama baked tons of cookies for the kids. But one of the other neighbor houses, the lady would ring a bell in the evening, literally a dinner bell, and the kids would all scatter and go home. And we'd go to our own houses. I got to stay most of the time because most of the kids were at my house. And so what was so cool about that was we'd play, we would enjoy, all the kids would be welcome. But when the dinner bell rang, guess what? See you, bye. It's time for you to go, especially through the school year through the week. And if a kid did not already have prior permission to stay and eat with us, do you think it would have been okay for just any of the neighborhood kids to start wandering through my house after the bell? Not exactly. I could wander. I could wash up. I could go maybe nibble on something if mom didn't catch me. I could do all of that. I had full access. But even though those kids were guests, they couldn't just stay as long as they wanted. Now why? What's the difference between me and them? One difference. I'm the son, the one and only, praise God, my daddy said, the only one. I was the only son, the unique son. And folks, listen to me, relationship is what makes the difference. It's not about attaching yourself to a religion. It is that do you know your father by having a relationship with him through his son? You have full access to God when you know the one and only unique son. Now, when I went off to college, my mother went and bought an African gray parrot, named him Peanut, and truthfully, he took my place. And if you're watching, Mama, you know what I'm saying is true. And after Peanut was no more, she got Lexus, a white Maltese, who's taking my place now, but I'm not bitter. I'm praying about it. So here's the deal. In those days, I was the unique son, the one child who had total access. Jesus is the unique son. I want you to listen to Raymond Brown. He wrote the message of Hebrews. It's been extremely helpful to me in this study. But Brown said this, Christ cannot be relegated to the rank of angel because he has a name, because the name he has is more excellent than theirs. Angelos, and this is just a reminder, I've told y'all this, Angelos Messenger. That's all it means. Angel. The word angel means a messenger. And nobody will deny at times they were wonderfully used as God's heralds. They were prominent not only in the Old Testament scripture, but in the New Testament experience as well. Think about it. Jesus was strengthened by angels. Wilderness before he started there um, at the end of his life at Gethsemane. They not only came alongside the Lord in moments of crisis as messengers of God's love and strength, but they came to help God's people. And I do believe they still do this. We'll dig into that more next week and in the time to come. But they came to help God's people when they entered hostile realms of adversity and peril. In fact, we have angels sent to release prisoners, instruct preachers, encourage believers, judge blasphemers, help weary travelers, and the list could go on. But as inspiring as those events are, the angels concerned were still just messengers. That's their name, Angelos. That's their function. But by his name, Jesus is superior because Angelos means messenger, but Yeshua, Jesus, means the Lord saves. When you hear the name Jesus, it is a name crying out for you to be saved. It is a name crying out for you to have a relationship with God. Jesus is so much better than angels because of his unique sonship. Secondly, he's better because of his, wor- his superior worthiness. His superior worthiness. Verse 6 is from Psalm 97, maybe a little bit of Deuteronomy 32 mixed in as well. Verse 7 is from Psalm 104. And what we find here in 6, it says this, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. This is a reference to Christ returning. Did angels worship God, I'm sorry, did angels worship Jesus when he was born into the world? Okay, Luke 2. What were the shepherds doing out on the field? They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo in the heavens, an angel appeared to them. And what did the angel say? Fear not. Why did he say fear not? Because the Bible says they were sore afraid. Literally in the Greek, they feared a great fear. They were terrified of this angel. But the angel said, you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. They've been placed, he's been placed in a manger and he's in a stable setting because there was no room for them in the inn. That's how we know all of these things. An angel told us, because an angel told the shepherds. But then with that singular angel joined in the sky, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, they announced His first coming. Will they announce his second coming? Absolutely. Jesus Christ will break open the eastern sky and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'll come back to that. And so what we find is that angels announced his worthiness and his superiority at his first coming. Let all the angels of God worship him. They will announce his second coming. And while the exact words here in verse 6 aren't in the Old Testament, sort of paraphrasing from Psalm 97, a little bit of Deuteronomy 32, what we find is that Jesus is fully God because only fully God is worthy of worship. He is superior in his nature and his worth to all the angels. Let me, let me see if I can show you superior. When I show you this, everybody at one time, just tell me what you see. Ready? Tell me what you see. Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? Do you, do you really use it to swap flies or do you swat your children if they're messed up? I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it. But here's the deal. Man, I hope that thing's clean. I just touched myself. Karen, I think it's clean. It's got something on it. Wash these jeans for me tonight, baby. So... I didn't do that in the first two services. I don't normally touch that in. I prefer the fly shooter guns. Have y'all seen those with the string? The salt shooters, those are super cool. But anyway, so this is a good fly swatter. I guess it's sort of a normal fly swatter. It looks like it's made like the one my little nanny had. Uh, She used to correct her dog with it. The funny thing is she never popped the dog. She just held it up and the dog obeyed. So it's like it was magic. It knew something was up. I would say this is a fine fly swatter. It's a normal fly swatter. But y'all, I'm just gonna tell you Right now, this one is superior in every way. That's a good fly swatter. If any of you are having problems with your children, you just come see me, okay? You can waffle them in Jesus' name. Now, here's the deal this is superior. I like this one. I feel like this one would be a lot of fun. But when I'm talking about Jesus being superior to the angels, I'm not just talking about He's bigger, therefore He's better. I'm talking about in every conceivable facet, Jesus is infinitely greater than the angels. In his omniscience, omnipotence, omnibenevolence, omnipresence, Jesus is so much more than are the angels. Because let's remember, guys, bigger isn't always better. Right, sweetheart? I'm fun size. God only made me 6'2". So I'm just, you know, are y'all listening? So (laughs) give or take six inches. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus isn't just bigger in a sense. Jesus is better in every conceivable and even inconceivable way for you Princess Bride fans. He is inconceivably better than the angels. All right, get your brain back with me. Here we go. Now you're going to be quoting that all day. Psalm 104.4 is used to spotlight their subordinate role. Angels are compared to the natural elements of wind and fire. They are ministering spirits like the breeze, the wind, like the fire. As God controls the elements, the wind, the waves, the flame, as God controls the natural elements, so too God controls the angelic host. They're messengers that Jesus is the son of the living God. And they are not to be worshiped. Only Christ is to be worshiped. Why? Why? Because he is greater than the angels. He's better because of his unique sonship, his superior worthiness, and lastly, for today, we'll pick it back up next week, because of his righteous role as king. His righteous role as king. Uh, That's eight and nine. It's coming from Psalm 45. But to the son, not to the angels, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God. Do y'all catch that? (laughs) To the son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. See, this was the promise to David. You would have a son whose kingdom would never end. A scepter, what is a scepter? That's just a staff a king holds, or a queen. It's, it's showing you that they are the ruler. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So, in other words, Jesus, more than the heavenly host. Your role is the righteous king of kings. Jesus alone is enthroned. And we find at least three facts about him unpacked for us here. He has a throne and is a ruler. That is not the case of angels. One tried it and he failed miserably. Who wanted a throne? Who wanted to be king of kings? Who wanted to be greater than God? Satan, Lucifer, he was an angel created by God, but in his prideful condition, he believed that he could usurp the power and throne of God. He wanted to be king, but are any angels kings? No, they are not. They are created servants, minister beings, messengers. Secondly, the throne will last forever and ever. It's eternal. Are angels eternal? Well, track with me, yes and no. They're not eternal in this sense. Jesus has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Triune Godhead have always been. When did they start? In the beginning. When was that? In the beginning. You say, well, yeah, 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 but Darwinian evolution explains the beginning. Oh, no, 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 au contraire, mi amigo. Uh, Darwinian evolution does not explain the beginning. In fact, Darwinian evolution fails miserably with the the problem of infinite regress. Because even if you actually believe in some big bang, well, where'd that stuff come from? And who caused the bang? And how did we get here from that? And what was before that? I'm going to say, as Genesis says, in the beginning God. And when it says in the beginning God, it is implied that we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but angels were sometimes subsequently created as beings of God, including Satan and including those angels that would fall. So they're not eternal in the same sense for God had created him, but also they're, Jesus is different from angels in this, the son loves righteousness and hates wickedness or lawlessness. Now let me ask you a question, think about it. Do all of the angels that God created love righteousness, meaning doing the right thing over and over and over and always, do all of the angels love righteousness and hate wickedness? No, because along with Lucifer, about a third of the angels fell. We either refer to them as unholy angels or more frequently today, we call them what? Demons. The Bible, actually, in the New Testament really refers to them more frequently, the host of wickedness in heavenly places. That is part of the demonic realm. So the possession of people, the oppression of people, those are demons which are, in essence, fallen angels, unholy angels, versus the two-thirds or so that are holy angels. What is the writer doing? He's trying to make these Jewish Christians say, do not relegate Christ to the realm of the angel. Not all angels are good. And let me give you some insight. There are some Jews even today that believe Jesus was an unholy angel. I met a guide in Israel a few years ago, an Orthodox Jew, who tried his best to convince me that Jesus was a blasphemer and an imposter and actually demonic, And there is part of the blinding that the God of this age, little G, has done to the Jewish people is he's convinced some of them, not all of them, I would say not even the majority, but he's convinced some that Jesus was actually a bad angel an imposter of the Messiah. It is our responsibility and our privilege to let people see that Christ is the Messiah, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. He is God's chosen son, king of kings, Lord of lords, and he is so much better than all the angels. What have we seen? Jesus is better than the angels because of his unique sonship, his superior worthiness, and because he is the righteous king of Kings. I need to close quickly here with an excursus. Y'all remember that? I told you the age of the antediluvians. We talked for a few minutes about that sort of apologetically. And I want to close with that because I think this question is super important. When Frank's nephew, who's not really Frank's nephew, said, uh, they're dead people and uh, they're nice dead people. Um, I do believe, and some of you may be in the category, just don't raise your hand. I do believe that a lot of people think we become angels after we die. I do not want to burst your it's a wonderful life bubble, but no, Clarence, every time a bell rings, an angel does not get his wings, nor did we come from this life to the next to become angels. That would be degradation. That would be lowering us because Jesus, now listen, Jesus did not die to redeem the angels. Their position is set. Let me show you. I'm gonna take some of this from gotquestions.org. I say this a lot. Please go there and check it out if you have questions. I send people links to it multiple times a week. It's an incredible site. They have an app. Y'all check it out, gotquestions.org. I think the vast majority are super in line with scripture and conservative in their approach. But the question is this, do we become angels after we die? Well, if I gave you two lines. You don't need two lines. What's the answer? no. (laughs) No. You don't become deer. You don't become butterflies. You cannot fathom the number of funerals I have preached over the years where people will come up to me afterward and with sincere sweethearts, they'll say, Oh, I'm just so happy. This such and such is a beautiful flower in my garden now. Oh, I saw that beautiful whitetail out the window, and I just know they were there communicating. I'm like, Bubba, if they knew Jesus, they were in heaven. They ain't got time to be a flower or a whitetail deer because I'm going to bust them. So Listen. <laughs> You've got to get that thinking out of your mind. We do not become angels when we die. They are created beings different than human beings, just like we said with the fallacy of evolution. Cats don't become dogs, and dogs don't become alligators. We're not changing kind. You don't become human to angel. Angels are ministers and messengers of God. There is absolutely no biblical indication anywhere that angels were formerly human beings or anything else. They were made as angels. They cannot experience redemption for Jesus did not die for them. First Peter says they're looking into it, but they can't experience it. Luke 15 says they celebrate when lost people are found, but they themselves cannot be saved in the same way. So what happens then? Real quick because I've done this maybe once or twice before. I know I did it in Digging Deeper. When you die, what happens? I'll use me. I die, I know I'm a Christian. The immaterial me, the real me, you might call it the spirit, you might call it the soul, I don't care what you call it, but the real me goes immediately to be with the Lord. How do I know that? To be absent from the body is to be Present with the Lord. I know the Bible's promised me that, and I know that my death would be precious in the sight of my Lord, because I'm one of God's saints. I'm not saintly, I'm called a saint, meaning I'm separated, set apart by the finished work of Christ. My immaterial self goes immediately to be with God. What if I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? If I'm not saved, it immediately goes to be separated from God in a horrible place of torment called hell. Hell. And hell is a place designed for Satan and his cohorts, the demons, but people go. Not because God sends them. God never sent anyone to hell. But if you don't receive the gift he's offering you, you have actively then rejected him and you are choosing to be separated. And folks, listen to me. There are no parties there. There's no wild rave going on in hell. There's separation. There's torment. There's anxiety. There's pain beyond measure. And there's never, ever satisfaction And there's no relationship there. And yet when we go to heaven, there's relationship. Now you say, okay, so you're not going to become an angel. No, I'm not. But when Jesus comes back to get his people in rapture, In the Rapturi, the Harpazo, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, he comes just into the sky, not all the way to the earth, just into the sky. And it says, The dead in Christ will rise first. What does this mean? It means the material me, wherever my body is laid, whether it's in one part or millions of parts, God will raise the material me to rejoin the immaterial me. How do I know that? Because that's what happened to Jesus. And the Bible says we will be like him. Jesus had flesh and bone, yet he had this supernatural body that could pass through, say, locked doors. So I will be like Jesus. Will I need wings to fly away? No. Did Jesus get wings? No. There's no indication anywhere that Jesus became an angel, nor is there any indication that Christians become angels. Can you even imagine You pop wings out, you go sit on a cloud and you strum harps all day. Man, that sounds awful. That sounds more like hell than heaven to me. I want to go to heaven where I can worship and serve the Lord and have a joy ever more. I mean, being able to do many of the things we would enjoy even here on earth. But if you want to know more about that, you have to listen to my heaven series from Digging Deeper. That being said, listen to me. You are not going to be changed to be like an angel. You are going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the archangel's voice shouts and when the trumpet of God blows you will be changed to be like Jesus Christ, not an angel. So quit worrying so much about angels. You don't worship them. And if we had half the curiosity for Christ that we had for angels, we'd be a whole lot better off in our society right now. I want you to know I want you to know when the trumpet sounds, man, I want you to know when your heart stops and your lungs aren't working anymore, I want you to know you're ready to stand before your maker. He's not gonna make you into an angel. He loves you too much, and Jesus died for you to give you a place in heaven. So, what's up with angels? They're not nearly as great as my Jesus. Thank you so much for watching us today.